Thanks, Dean, and thanks to our singers and all of those who have been helping us in the worship of God today. I love watching old war movies. It's a great way for me to unwind, and I like all those classic ones, the ones that you tend to see on TV time and time again, The Great Escape, where eagles stir, the eagle has landed. And the thing about movies from that period is that they tended to glamorize war a bit. Um, they were just a bit of escapism, and they almost made war seem like a pretty attractive thing. And then, then I switch on my TV, and I see the reality. I watch those reports by brave war reporters like Quentin Somerville in Ukraine, and I see what it's like on the front line of that war, and it's hideous. And I come to realize that war is a serious business, that it's not something actually that is to be entered into lightly, that there is nothing glamorous, there is nothing attractive, there is nothing amazing about real, genuine war. And the longer we are in the Christian life, the more we come to know that we are involved in a war as individual believers, but also collectively as the church, as the fellowship of believers here, the body of Christ, we are engaged in a spiritual war. And it is a serious business. It is certainly not to be entered into lightly. And that's the reality that the Apostle Paul reminded his friend and his fellow worker in the gospel, Timothy, of at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn with me again, please, to that passage that we read together just a, a few moments ago, and we'll look back over the opening verses of this chapter as well. But as we do that, and each time we come to think about this particular book in the Bible, this letter that we read together, it's worth reminding ourselves of the nature of the relationship that existed between Paul, who was the writer of this letter, and Timothy, who was its recipient. Remember that Timothy is a younger co-worker in the gospel. He is a fellow minister. And yet, how does Paul regard this young man, Timothy? Well, he describes him back at the beginning of this letter, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 2, as being my true son in the faith. And then at the beginning of the second letter that he writes to him that we have in our Scriptures, in 2 Timothy 1, 4, he, he says to Timothy, I long to see you so that I will be filled with joy. And all the way through this series, as we have been looking at this letter together, therefore, we have described this letter and this book as being both personal and prophetic. That is to say, it is obviously a personal letter. It is a letter that is written from one person with great affection to another person. But we also understand that what we're reading here is prophetic. It is God's Word to us, that in an incredible way, God's Holy Spirit inspired these words 
that Paul was writing to his friend Timothy. And we in turn have received these words into our canon of Scripture. This makes up our Bible, God's Word to us. And it means that what is being said here is not restricted to one person, but it is for all people who love Jesus. It is for all churches in all places at all times. And so we sit up and we take notice, we take heed of what is being said here. And last time, when we looked at the start of chapter 4, Paul was saying to his son in the faith, to his great friend in the faith, Timothy, Timothy, this is serious stuff. Let's be absolutely clear, Timothy, we are involved in a war. And we read that in verse 1. Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So that those who move away from the gospel, those who move away from Jesus and their dependence upon Him are not free thinkers. They're not people who are engaged in reimagining things or people who have gone slightly off course. No, the Holy Spirit Himself says at the beginning of this chapter that they are deceived by demonic forces, which elevates the importance of all of this, which means for us that the stakes are very high, that you need to pray for and support and listen to faithful preachers and teachers, that we all need to be alert to spiritual warfare, every single one of us, and we need to be intolerant of false teaching. There's an in-phrase in our generation, that phrase, fit for purpose. We talk about organizations and individuals being fit for purpose. And the seriousness of the challenge that Paul lays out to Timothy here in the first five verses of this chapter means that Timothy needs to be a pastor who is fit for purpose. As he ministers to people in Ephesus in the context of false teaching, he needs to be ready to serve the Lord. So, how can he be a minister who is fit for purpose? Well, Paul gives the younger Timothy some important guidance here in, in verses 6 to 16. And the first bit of guidance, the first bit of Spirit-inspired teaching is, Timothy, don't be distracted. He says that Timothy will be doing a good job if he sticks to the core message, if he concentrates on the gospel. And here's the warning that is attached to that in verse 7. He says to Timothy, Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. And we have already encountered that phrase earlier in this book. And as we think about ourselves tonight, we know that we can get so caught up in things that are not of fundamental importance, that we can quickly embrace ideas that have little or nothing to do with the gospel. 
And yet this is a time in which we need to put all of our energies into what is really important. We need to concentrate on the things of first importance. That for me and for you, for us, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is the gospel. A gospel that is summed up within this letter back in chapter 1, verse 15. If you look back at that verse again, and there Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. We have talked about that repeated phrase. It's really Paul's way of saying, sit up and really take notice of what I'm about to say. This is of critical importance. And what he says here is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As we think about our church tonight, there are many things that could distract us from the main thing. And there are many things that could distract the elders of this congregation from the gospel and the central role that we have here. And sometimes those things can be sinful struggles, but sometimes they can be things that are external. Simple things like administration and within the body of the leadership of this congregation, the burden of administration increases, especially in this age of being a registered charity. And yet, we have capable people that we can delegate much of that to. The leaders of this church can be distracted by petty disputes. So, let's not be a distraction. We can be distracted by debates over secondary and even tertiary issues that are not actually gospel issues. So, let's not waste our precious time. So, what then is important? Well, Paul spells it out, and he says once again, as he's already talked about in this letter, that it is godliness. And how do we pursue that? Well, Paul puts it like this to Timothy in verse 7. He tells him, train yourself to be godly. And he actually uses the analogy of the gym. It's not a place that I go to, but I know that some of you do. And the gym, physical exercise, can have benefits here and now, but the kind of training that Timothy is told about by Paul is training that has an eternal value. And yet, if you look at the verse, and it's something that has never struck me about this before, it not only has eternal value, Paul also stresses that it has value for here and now. And we know this from our experience, that when we walk in the ways of the Lord, there are real benefits to that. And more critically, when we do not, it does not make for a good life. But there is that eternal perspective as well. And so there is for Timothy as a pastor, and there is for all of us who are believers, 
the need for persistence and regularity in pursuing godliness using the means of grace. And believe me when I say that the greatest danger, the greatest danger for those of us who are pastors, those of us who are leaders, is not actually the opposition that can be faced from others. It's when we stop taking time to pursue godliness in our own life, which is why pastors need your prayer. So, Paul says to Timothy, do not be distracted. But then the second thing he says to him is, be firm. Verse 11, command and teach these things. And I want you to see the strength of the first verb in that phrase, command. And right the way across the modern translations, I think I'm right in saying that in some of the kind of staple translations that we use, the NIV, the ESV, the Christian Standard Bible, that it is that same word that is used from the original language, command. And in our church today, we may be comfortable with the, the second verb there, teach. Yes, we get that, and we want to be taught, but command. All of us can naturally take a step back from that concept. And so in ministry, we really need God's strength in our weakness. We need to have courage to say what needs to be said from the pulpit and face to face. And all of us must be ready to listen to and be challenged by all that is proclaimed in God's Word. And so I ask of you tonight, as I need to ask of myself, do we accept rebuke and correction, which is much needed? And therefore, are we really committed to the authority of Scripture? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't be distracted and be firm. And then he says to him, third, be a good example. That Timothy's teaching needs to be backed up by his lifestyle, which is why Paul talks so much about the pursuit of godliness. And in Timothy's case, his particular difficulty, the challenge that he was met with was that he was teaching and pastoring people who were older than him in the main, which is why Paul brings this instruction to him in verse 12. He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And that verse demands us to consider our own lives. And importantly, to consider not only what we are saying, but what we are doing, what we are thinking, how we are governed in our life. 
And could it be said that we are setting the right kind of example in what we say, in what we do, and how we treat people, in our lifestyle? This verse that Paul writes to his younger friend Timothy can be particularly an encouragement to those who are younger Christians. In other words, those who are younger in the faith and to those who are younger people, those who are younger in age. It can be a great motivation to guard your life and to set an example to others, which is possible. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be fit for purpose. Don't be distracted. Be firm. Be a good example. And then finally, he says to Timothy, Timothy, be diligent. He puts it like this in verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And he's emphasizing the absolute centrality of God's Word and what lies at the heart of Timothy's calling and the job that he's been given to do in this particular church in Ephesus. There are so many things, so many things that could distract those of us who are teachers of the Word from the study of the Word and preparation for preaching the Word, from giving it the time that it deserves and it needs. But Paul says to Timothy in verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. And I find that phrase encouraging and deeply challenging in equal measure. Because here is Paul, who is a mature believer, of that there is no doubt, writing to his friend Timothy, and every indication that we have in Scripture is of Timothy being a mature believer in Christ. And yet, they are talking to one another about their progress. It's a reminder to me and to us that actually none of us have arrived far from it. When it comes to what God's state of purposes are for our life, that all of us must make progress. And if there is ever regression, then we must seek the grace of God to progress further and further. And so Paul says to Timothy in verse 16, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. And it's perhaps the most important teaching that he brings to this pastor because of the connection between what we believe and what we do or the connection that there should be. Tonight we see these instructions that come from one Christian leader to another, one who happens to be younger in years, one who happens to need a father-like figure like Paul 
to help him as he struggles for the gospel and contends for the kingdom. But remember that what we are reading here is not only personal, undoubtedly it is that. What we read here tonight is prophetic. And that means that this is God speaking to you. This is God speaking to me. And it's a reminder to us of the incredible need that we have for God's grace in our lives and how we need the transforming power of His Holy Spirit. Because when I look at this list and I think of my ministry, I see how far short I have fallen. And when we look at this list and we think of that priesthood that there is of all believers, this is God's desire for us tonight, that we would keep the gospel of Jesus Christ right at the very center of our lives, right at the very center of what we do in this place. And may we know that grace of God, that help that comes by the presence of His Holy Spirit for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.